Welcome to Dose of Support, a podcast for healthcare professionals to preserve stories and provide a dose of support to each other through community and shared experiences. We're going to share successful and sometimes not successful self-care methods. And I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a professional just like you. Remember, I'm hosting this podcast, but I'm not your healthcare provider, and my guests aren't here to provide healthcare advice either. But we do encourage you to seek out care from your own healthcare professional. And although we're sharing stories from healthcare, I intend to fully adhere to HIPAA and protect privacy. And remember, this podcast is not related to any employer. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back, listeners. We have a special guest with us today. Allison Swenson is with us. She specializes in treating patients with eating disorders. She has a master's degree and is licensed as a registered dietitian. She describes her story as one of imposterism, and I think that a lot of us could relate with that. She's the owner and operator and chief clinician at Reclaiming Nutrition, where she offers personalized health coaching. All right, Allison, are you there? Are you with us? I'm here. Thanks, Vanessa. That was a great intro. Welcome to the podcast. Can you tell, I I think listeners may not know what a registered dietitian is. So I think we should start there. What are you? What do you do? Yeah, huge question, actually. Um, Dietitian and you probably heard nutritionist get thrown around quite a bit. Um, So I like to start right there. Um, that really anybody that studied nutrition um, in any type of college setting can call themselves a nutritionist. Um, And that may be the help that you need. That may be exactly what you want. And just so listeners know, uh, a registered dietitian would have uh, more uh, education um, and definitely a uh, internship to be uh, an accredited internship um, to like sit for an exam like a nurse would and actually become a registered clinician. So that's a, a little difference there. I'm I'm kind of shocked <laughs> right now because obviously as a nurse myself, I've taken nutrition classes. So are you saying that I could call myself a nutritionist? Yeah, well, essentially, it would hopefully be more someone that actually took a four, two to four year degree in nutrition. Gotcha. But, gotcha. but yeah, pretty much anyone can say they're a nutritionist, just like anyone could say they're a health coach. Not that that approach is bad. And like I said, maybe that's exactly what you're looking for. Um, but just to know that the um, training isn't necessarily there. So can you talk a little bit more about the training? Like I mentioned, you have a master's degree and you took boards and you are a clinician. So what is what do you mean by all that? I actually um, sought 
after my graduate program specifically because they had the only internship in the nation that um, studied uh, eating disorders. So I knew when I started studying nutrition um, on the master's level that I wanted to work with eating disorders. And I thought the only way I'm going to get my dream job is if I get this internship. Um, and luckily with University of Minnesota, um, you're just a shoe in If you get your master's there, you're placed in that internship. Uh, I think that has changed um, now, but at the time, that's exactly what I did because I, I knew I wanted to work with eating disorders. So <laughs> that's amazing. So did you have an undergraduate degree in something else or how does that work? I did. So um like many people, I think, what I've heard is uh, we can't quite make up our minds when we're young and we don't have the experience uh, to know what we want to do and who we really are. Uh, yeah, preach, girl. Preach. <laughs> so um, I, I went to a college and got a four-year degree. I loved science. And so I thought, well, why not study biology uh, and actually environmental studies because I love nature. Um, but then my work as a biologist was just incredibly monotonous. I was working alone, um, didn't have the interaction and growth that I soon found out I needed to have in working with people. Um, and then I actually got diagnosed with celiac disease. And I thought, well, this is a perfect reason to go back uh, and study nutrition because I, I was wishing I had used a dietitian at that time. It sounds like you needed it, like you became your own solution to celiac disease. Yeah, like, in a way. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. And so that's why you went back for your master's. And the master's, was that a two-year or a three-year program? That was two years. And uh, I had the lucky, um, fortunate case of being asked to be a research assistant uh, and having a stipend for part of my schooling. Uh, and so then I got to actually go into people's homes. Part of my research was um, seeing if children from the ages of 9 to 12 uh, liked vegetables. And if so, were they eating them on a regular basis? So I was actually going into homes around um, where we live here in the Midwest and um, seeing if families were cooking with vegetables. If they were, where did they get the vegetables from? Um, was it a source of um, income that was a barrier to that? Um, and then, you know, did kids like them? And I actually found out that a lot of kids like a wide variety of vegetables. So that was a really fun uh, research project. That sounds like fun. Um, what are th what are boards like for for you? Or like, I guess I'm I'm asking. So you finish your your degree, but that doesn't mean you can just work as a registered dietitian, correct? Right. So you, like I said, I got into an internship, um, which allows you to sit for the boards. Um, the internships range, uh, depending on which one you get into, from six months to a whole year of doing various rotations within all the different fields that a dietitian could do. So there's community work, there's food service, there's obviously clinical work um, like someone would do in a hospital. Um, and then I was lucky enough to have uh, the component of eating disorder work. And then once you've passed your internship, you've gotten the A-OK -okay that you have all this experience, um, you get the certificate to take the exam. 
Um, and that's just like any certified exam. You go to a special location and sit for, I don't even remember how long it took, and you just wait for the test to be over to see if you passed. And I, I'm like already sweating because I'm <laughs> like, that That just sounds horrible. I know. Any, but- any like standardized board exam, like it, it should, I mean, it, it, there's a reason that not everyone does that, right? So there's a reason that there's a process, but man, I don't miss that. Oh, I don't miss that feeling. No, I hope that's in the past, never again. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about what does your everyday life look like at work? Like what kind of tasks do you do? What does a registered dietitian do? Yeah. So I am part of an IDP program um, with the business that I'm working for with eating disorders. And so what that stands for is an intensive day program. So clients, well, they used to come to the building. I should uh, preface with saying now everything is telehealth, um, but we are still doing telehealth, um, which is seven hours a day for our clients to get support Um from mine is 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. So I have meals with them all throughout the week. I actually do breakfast and lunch with them and help them figure out, you know, you know, I would help them with a meal plan and figure out, you know, what what sort of components they need to be including, um, paying attention to macro and micronutrients, um, as well as, you know, challenging maybe some feared foods, fear, foods that they've been avoiding for quite some time. So that's a big part of my job is actually eating with the clients. It sounds like there is a psychological component to this for part of your work. Huge psychological component. Um, and that was actually part of the theme of imposterism that I was going to get to. Because yeah, the, um, you know, eating disorders, you know, we're finding more and more, there's obviously a psychological component, um, someone who is having a hard time with body image, um, and may have low self esteem. Then there's the biological component, there's, you know, actually, genetics involved that studies are showing. So, you know, if your um, mom had an eating disorder, you're more prone to have one. Um, And then there's environmental component. So, you know, what were family dynamics like as a child? um, And did that influence um, your relationship with body and food? Um, Did the hobbies that you enjoyed or enjoy now have, you know, like an aesthetic component, making you think you needed to look a certain way to perform well? Um, was there trauma in your environment? Like all these things can, you know, we, we don't say it's one or the other. They're usually all involved, um, a multifaceted uh, cause of an eating disorder. And then what happens is people are using either not eating in terms of restriction or maybe overeating and binging to really cope with you know, any of those um, factors that are not sitting so well with them. I'm just going to guess that you work in a multidisciplinary team too. So like you're not trying to do psychotherapy or or cognitive behavioral therapy necessarily. I mean, I'm sure that's part of your role, but um, I think that it's it probably takes a whole team to manage a patient that has a real what am I trying to say? A patient that has a real diagnosed eating disorder. 
Absolutely. And I'm so grateful to be working with the team because, yeah, like you just heard me explain, it's multifaceted in terms of the cause. And so then the treatment has to be multifaceted as well. So um, I'm working with several incredible therapists, um, as well as a psychiatrist that the clients have to meet with weekly. Um, there's obviously a medical team um, that they meet with every week or every other week. And then um, I'm not only eating with the clients, but then I'm meeting with them one-on-one for nutrition assessments and follow-up appointments each week. That's amazing. It sounds like a really important role and undervalued, which is one of the reasons I've, you know, I think that this platform is so important because your role has existed for a long time. And and I feel like, especially as a female-dominated role, it's not recognized. It's invisible work. And I want to highlight that here. So uh, mm-hmm. I think, I, anyway, I, that's my little soapbox. Let's get on to my next question, which is what is the most challenging part of your work or what do you hate? Like, I know hate's a strong word, but like, (laughs) like every, no job is perfect, right? Right. You know, I, I was guessing that you'd ask me something along those lines. And I, I really had a hard time thinking about, you know, if there's really something I hate, but I came up with, I think a pretty good answer. I really hate in my role BMI and weight ranges. And I know some people in the health field, hopefully that are listening to this podcast, will gasp when they hear that. Um, I don't know. I think some people are probably like nodding their heads with you like, oh my God, yes, we all hate that too. But that's that's just my opinion. You listeners, listeners weigh in, get on my Patreon, get on Instagram and be like, fuck BMI. Like you go ahead and say that. But, but tell me, tell me more about why I have to know now. Oh, Vanessa, can we swear on this podcast? Um, I haven't decided yet. So (laughs) I I think think this particular one is, it's going to be a yes. Okay, awesome. Um, Yeah, I I meant to ask you that because um, my clients actually, you know, after they hear my spiel and my education in groups and in individual assessments, um, they they tell new clients that come to the group like, yeah, Allison's a dietitian that thinks weight in BMI is bullshit. So I um, I love that that's the reputation I have. Um, cause unfortunately a lot of what my clients tell me and I'm getting choked up right now and emotional just thinking about it is that there has been an absurd amount of trauma in my clients going to the doctor's office and so much fear around being weighed and being told that maybe they were quote unquote obese. And I don't even like to use that Um, term, which is why I put it in quotes, um, based on a BMI that was developed by a mathematician who hadn't even studied um, health and populations or nutrition, any sort of science, and was basing um, the data on white men. And so now more than ever, we need to talk about how we measure health for all of the people, everybody. Um, and it, it can't be based on a, a standardized chart. It just can't. It sounds like this is 
the BMI is the thing you hate, but it's also like one of the best parts of your job to be able to educate and bring people together and apparently be like the anti-BMI queen. I don't know. Like, do you yeah. have a crown? Do you have like a t-shirt made up or something? <laughs> like, I, I like to pretend I have a crown, especially on telehealth when, you know, we have to like pass the torch to the next facilitator who's doing the virtual group. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, give me my, give me my wand back. <laughs> No, but it really is like, um, you know, that that brings me to what one of my favorite, absolute favorite parts of my job is. And I would, to sum it all up, say it's the mind blowing moments, you know, when when a client finally trusts what I have been teaching, what the whole team has been teaching and tries a new approach, this new way of eating, a new way to look at their bodies and actually faces their fear and sees that nothing really bad happened. It's just like they have that look on their face like, oh my gosh, everything you were telling me may actually be true. This may actually be the way I want to live my life. Maybe my surrender into recovery is worth it, even though it hurts so much sometimes and it takes so much work. I'm smiling over here. Like I'm smiling and I have goosebumps and I'm just like, you can you can tell you're doing the right you're doing what you were meant to do um cuz you get you're so passionate and i can just i can hear it and i have goosebumps thinking about those successes that we don't we don't see a lot of successful stories in healthcare that is not shown in the media and that actually brings me to one of my next questions for you it, it's one of my silly questions is do you see yourself represented in the media and do you see like if you if you watch a healthcare show like scrubs or something on tv do you see your profession represented there Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Uh, no, <laughs> um, especially um, you know in, in my specific unique field. Obviously, um, a lot of people I encounter have no idea what an eating disorder dietitian is, and for that matter, I would say I'm an anti-diet dietitian. I'm a health at every size dietitian. Like I would never tell you what you're eating is wrong, and I think the stigma. Um, with who a dietitian is and what they're going to tell you is the opposite. And so what's in the media most of the time and on the news and in TV shows, like you just said, would be, you know, the stereotypical, um, privileged, thin-bodied, female, probably beautiful um, dietitian who's um, carrying around a clipboard and handing out meal plans and telling you how to lose weight. Um, and for that matter, we're also usually seen on the, the bottom of the hierarchy, I would say, when it comes to medical professions. Um, and so like the breadth and depth of the knowledge we have um, and the, the healing that can go along with that in terms of the, the medical recovery um, oftentimes gets ignored. I preach, girl. I like to talk hierarchy <laughs> on this show, yes. but big medicine has really put us all under them. And, and all of us are otherwise invisible. You know, a lot of professionals in healthcare cannot bill for the work that they do. Um, mm -hmm. For example, a, 
someone goes in to give a patient a bed bath. That's not a billable service. It's invisible work. It's not appreciated. It's undervalued because you're not the man or the the mm. physician going in and doing that. And so somehow everyone that does all this important work gets lost and is invisible, mm. but not here, not at dose of support. This is where we, I just oh. pounded on the table. I don't know if that was picked up by the mic, but like <laughs> I, that's what this is. This is why we're here. Like we all are participating in a hierarchical system, trying to heal people that the system is broken and there isn't mm. a platform for us to share. So here we are. And so Oh, oh my God. Do you, do you hear me? I love it. Do you hear Vanessa. me? I'm like, I love getting it. Getting off my soapbox. Okay, listeners, now that I'm all fired up, let's just, <laughs> let's come down a little bit and let's take a break and we'll be right back with Allison's story on imposterism. All right, listeners, welcome back to Dose of Support. And we have Allison Swenson, our registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. And she has a special story to share with us about imposterism. So I guess I would start with, I like to tell people that my work as a dietitian is really a blend of science and art. And what I would say is I definitely learned about the science in my education and my training. I didn't learn about the art. And by that, I mean, you know, what, what they didn't tell me about or encourage me to take in terms of um, classes around psychology. And, you know, like we just talked about eating disorders are a big component of a mental disorder. And so uh, you would have thought that I would have had some sort of psychology background. Um, but no, I, I was thrown in. Um, I had amazing, um, you know, on the job training, I would say. But it was a really just needing to be a sponge of you know, how how do other people handle these really strong emotions that come up around food? Um, how, how would I handle the beliefs that my clients are telling me that they have no self-worth? What do I say to that? Um, what, what do I say to people that just don't know how to tolerate change? Um, and so I, I would say, you know, in terms of a very uh, specific story that um, stuck out to me was um, I was very new in my career, very new at doing group work. So, you know, with intensive programming patients and, you know, eating with them and, and being a big um, support in their recovery. Uh, and a big part of that is getting them to combat thoughts that the eating disorder is saying is the last thing that they should do. So an example would be to eat dessert every day, you know, and we would eat dessert for this program. It was with dinner. Um, and there was um, a 100% completion norm in our group so that eating disorders wouldn't uh, start to compete against each other. We're like, well, why, why can they leave some of their dessert and I have to eat all of mine and so forth? Well, I was, I had heard that this client was um, 
you know, really liking dessert and, you know, to the point of binging on it when she wasn't in group. Uh, And so at dinner one night, I said, well, what would it be like to leave some dessert? And it was this huge uproar, this outburst and yelling and blaming and right in front of a whole group of people that I'm also helping and I'm also trying to um, win their respect. quite the reaction. Like, (laughs) yeah, like a very public reaction, too. Very much so. And I I tend to be a, a people pleaser. I, I want to make sure, um, you know, conflict is resolved and everybody knows where I'm coming from and why I would ask something or suggest something the way I did. Um, and she was just so dead fast on the rule that we finish everything that she couldn't see the, the wiggle room in there of why it could be helpful for her to leave some. And when a client, you know, when some clients get what we say outside their window window of tolerance, there's there's no amount of talking in that moment and trying to get them to rationalize. Um, I, I really needed help um, from the therapist in the room to, you know, get her grounded um, and ask her to leave the room, which she eventually was asked to do. But I cried. Wow. I cried right there in front of that client, in front of everybody else I was eating the meal with. Um, I was in a shame spiral, as Brene Brown would say. Um, and I I didn't know what to do in that moment. It was embarrassing. I was full of shame. Um, and I just kind of wanted someone someone to save me. Were you feeling, can I just ask, were you feeling shamed because you didn't know what to do or shamed because you asked the question like guilty or like what caused you to feel that way? I would say I was having feelings of inadequacy and I started second guessing, um, you know, like these, these clients tend to be, you know, I don't like to use stereotypes, but um, clients with eating disorders tend to be um, a little sensitive. Um, And, you know, maybe I, I started to guess, like, did I push, push too hard? Could I have worded that in a different way? Could I have said something so that she knew I was really on her side and wanting her to beat up the eating disorder instead of her thinking that I was, you know, beating her up. Um, And I, you know, and that was just, that's one example of, you know, a a huge learning curve of, you know, because then I wanted to make it right, wanted to know how I could do it differently next time. I spoke to her individual therapist, and then the three of us um, talked together. Um, We eventually healed things, and by the time she left my group, she was able to say on her last night that I was her favorite facilitator. So (laughs) redeemed yourself. I yeah, I I did, but I I think um, you know obviously we're going to have those moments where yeah maybe there's a different way we could have handled it. Not that my question was inappropriate, um, but maybe my response, um, like showing all that emotion and making it look like to the others that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I there yeah I would definitely handle the situation differently now. What would you have done differently? 
Yeah, well, so I think a big part of this and, you know, where I where I went back to, like, there's a blend of, you know, the art and the science, like, I, I know from science what can be helpful um, in terms of nutrition for a person, but even that is um, full of gray areas. It's not black and white, like, um, you, you have this certain disorder, so you need to eat X, Y, Z. Um, but I would say in terms of um, the psychology background, like it could have been really helpful for me to know more about borderline personality disorder um, and just how someone may present with extreme mood swings and anger that I had never seen before that sometimes even um, translates into violence. And what I what I mentioned in terms of like they get into that activation point um, where we say they're out of their window of tolerance. Um, And, you know, a lot of medical practitioners know about fight, flight, freeze. Um, And so the the stress hormones are surging. um, You're catabolizing a lot of things in your body and you're just kind of in rage and and you can't reason when you're like that. Um, And so as much as I would want to try to explain myself and how how I was asking or why I was asking something the way I did um, for recovery, they in that state can't hear it. Um, So now I would, you know, have a a stronger backbone, I would say. Um, And I would say, okay, I I didn't mean to um, uh, have that reaction. Um, I'd like to talk to you um, at a different time when we can, you know, have a, a calm conversation. I think it would be best right now if, you know, you left the room with someone who can support you um, and do some grounding skills. And then, yeah, like I said, I'd love to talk to you again about how we can move forward. Um, but I had to learn, like, I don't have to have all the answers. <laughs> oh, and I think something I can, I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this in different ways. Maybe, maybe they don't realize it yet. Maybe you guys are like, oh my gosh, I've been through this. But uh, in nursing, I have been yelled at. I have, it, you know, the, the things that other people deflect onto you, are, it's not, it's not you. It's not your problem right? They're, they're trying to make it your problem and it's not about you. A lot of times it's not about you. And I'm, I'm just guessing that in this situation, it probably wasn't necessarily you. Maybe, maybe what you said triggered something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think when you haven't dealt with that before, it kind of smacks you across the face. Like, Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this person is projecting this anger at me. And I, you know, and it's daunting when you have never, when you've never been through something like that. And certainly academia does not, does not prepare anyone for that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have you know, a whole team on my side. So I'm never alone um, in that situation or if I am, because it has come out in even just private sessions, you know, being um, sweared at, um, you know, like pamphlets flying. um, I've had door slamming, you name it. Um, I know that I can just 
tell the client, I, I think our, our time together is done. I don't think we're going to get much else um, constructive out of this time together. So um, why don't we touch base, you know, next week or whatever would be a good time frame. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to handle. And it's a lot, at least for me, it was a lot for me to take in and not um, put that pressure on myself to to know what to do. So what keeps you coming back to work? It sounds like sometimes it can be really hard. And how do you how do you reconcile that? What kind of self-care do you do? And what keeps you coming back for more? So what keeps me coming back is that I've seen so many incredible recovery stories. Um, I've seen that what I teach and the skills I encourage clients to practice actually does work. Um, and they, they'll come back and tell me, you know, I'm, I, I have no fear around food anymore. I'm having so much fun with eating and I don't have to check my weight anymore because I'm just trusting my body knows what to do and I have freedom. Oh. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's, I, I, I love hearing those stories and, you know, it obviously makes me believe that there's hope for everybody that I come across, you know, and I, I want to provide that same care, um, to everybody who may be struggling with an eating disorder. So you are setting people free. You're helping them set themselves free. Absolutely. And that's, that's really, yeah, that's the blend of the art and the science. You know, the um, the medical field can be full of, you know, the numbers of be this weight, have this certain cholesterol, have this certain A1C level. Um, but I'm really encouraging people to look at the whole picture of health, that it's way more than the numbers. It's about the relationships that you have. It's about the uh, hobbies that you have and enjoy. It's about getting good sleep. It's about moving because your body is meant to move, not because you're forcing it to do something that you think you should. Um, it's, It's the whole picture of health. That we need to look I'm at. I'm sure you've come across this in your work, but there's so much privilege that people that have access to quality food, that had ac- access to education around nutrition, that people that had exercise science growing up, I, I feel like there's so much privilege in living a healthy lifestyle and even having the ability to sleep well and perform self-care and exercise. There's a lot of privilege in that position that we, that I personally, I have that privilege. I was educated well, and I feel like I have the tools to cope with my environment. But I just want to acknowledge that some of the listeners out there hearing this may not have had that, and that is not your fault. That is, it, it is a bad system that we need to fix um, and I, I don't know, you probably have seen that a lot in your work, Allison. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, that's a big um, piece of what I'm focusing on um, in my business of reclaiming nutrition, that health 
needs to be accessible for everyone. And um, I, I always tell my clients, you know, come to me with whatever food resources you have, whatever it is you like or think you may want to try, and I will make it work with your meal plan. I will show you how that fits into a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so I truly do believe that all foods fit. Um, and, you know, really I talk about like, cause eating disorders love food rules. Um, but I say, if you need to have rules, the only thing, um, you really need to focus on around food is balance, variety, and moderation. And that having those, uh, words in the back of your mind opens up, you know, a whole, whole gamut of options, um, no matter where you live or what you have access to. Well, I don't know about the listeners, but I've learned so much about nutrition in this episode and how to tackle um, my own views on food. And so if people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah. So I'm at reclaimingnutrition.com. Um, and you can um, look me up if you're interested in, you know, a free consultation to see if we're a good fit for each other. Because um, that that is key. Um, I want to make sure it's a good relationship. And if not, I love to recommend, you know, other uh, health practitioners that I do know um, and who could help support you as well. And then um, love Instagram. So I'm at Allison underscore Swenson underscore RD. Excellent. Well, listeners, you heard Allison. We need your dose of support. So go ahead and email me at hello at doseofsupport.com. Find us on Instagram at dose of support. Find us in a private Facebook group and reach out to Allison as she's already noted. Thank you so much, Allison, for giving me a dose of support today. And I can't wait till we can talk again. You're going to have to come back for another episode. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. Stories matter, and now we've captured another one. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections and give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, edited, everything by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show or leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again.